I'm grateful for the Word of God and for those who bring the Word of God. And on days like today, the Word of God feeds us. And I'm so grateful today for Alex Seeley. He's going to be bringing the Word of God to us. And you know, honestly, church, Alex and her husband, Henry, Henry is preaching on our Leeds campus right now. But we bring you the best people. And Charlotte is the best collector of the best people. We send her out on a mission and we say, Charlotte, just go collect this up, another dozen friends for our church. And so she's come back and she's saying to me, Steve, you got to turn this girl loose on the church. And you know, there's a great scripture in the Bible that says simply this, that there's neither male nor female. Now don't let yourself get all screwed up by what that means today. But the point is, the girls have a contribution to the house of God that is absolutely essential and vital. Absolutely vital to the house of God. And so we bring you the best, Alex Seeley, who was a great church builder in Nashville, Tennessee. The belonging is a phenomenal move of God that is happening in good old Music City. And I tell you what, they're reaching some rednecks out there in Nashville. And it is so good to see what God is doing there. Some of our dearest friends are in that church, Bernie and Natalie. And they just rave about these guys. So Life Church, we want you to stand up and honor the gift of God that's in Alex Silly and get ready to receive the word today to bring hope into our hearts. Come on, Alex. We love you, girl. Thank you, thank you. You may be seated. Oh my goodness, what a church you have. Like what a church you have. Don't ever take it for granted. Honestly, you know, there are churches and then there are churches. And this is the latter, the churches that are amazing, full. You can feel the heart of your pastors they are the most phenomenal people that you get to be led by. And you need to honour them today, Pastor Steve and Charlotte. You need to honour them for how well they lead you. What a phenomenal, phenomenal house of God. And it's an absolute honour and privilege. And thank you for um, allowing me and oh, being led by Martin Smith tonight, darling. Check, are you kidding me? Guys, you've got the best church ever. So, um, you know, it was funny, like, you know, we, when you go to visit a church, um, they, they ask for your scriptures in advance and your message in advance. And I had them all for conference. And I, I just, I'm not one of these people that just gives you the top two sermons of the year and travel with that. And I, I have to ask the Lord, like, I'm just, I'm a feeler. And I couldn't, I said, to be advised for Sunday. And as I was praying, I felt to speak this particular message. Little did I know that what was going to, you know, transpire in London yesterday and your pastors have so beautifully led you to not fear, but to pray for this nation. And, and God gave me a word about casting our cares to the Lord for he cares for us. And this is just the tender heart of God this morning, that he just wants to remind you that he's good, he's in control, and that we shouldn't ever fear, because no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and that we have an eternity in heaven, and that this life is temporal, 
And even when bad things happen, it's not finished yet. That we go into eternity with God and that's why church, we need a revival. That's why we need to know that we, the world is watching the church when tragedy happens. The world watches and, and sees how we react. But if we cower in fear and we uh, catch anxiety, then they look at us and they go, well, then how different are you to me? And they're watching to see what the church will do. And so I, I really know that God wants to teach us today and equip us as the saints to do good works and know how to warfare when tragedy hits our doorstep because a news flash needs to be alerted. Adversity comes to all of us. Just because we're a Christian doesn't mean it exempts us from tragedy. And sometimes we think that because we do all the right things that God's a rewarder of our Christian behaviour, but we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sin abounds. Oh, but the good news is that grace abounds all the more. And so today, I know God wants to minister to hearts. And I'm just gonna give you a few keys on what do you do when anxiety tries to wrap around your heart. And so, just gonna say, Jesus, anoint this word, amen, because he's already here. But we're just gonna read from Philippians 4, 6 to 7. It says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now we can read this scripture and go, lovely, but listen to this, it says, don't be anxious for anything. That means anything. That means anything that you can think of right now. Oh, but Alex, what about that? No, anything, that covers anything, anything. The shopping bills, the, 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 the tragedies that are happening, the big, the small, whatever it is, a headache, whatever, anything. He says, don't be anxious. And he understands that we would be anxious because he speaks a lot about it in the Word of God. There's a lot about anxiety. So he knew that we would be anxious, but he's instructing us and he says, don't be anxious for anything. Why? He says, and this is how the peace of God that everybody wants. I just want peace. How many people ask for peace? I just need peace. Well, the Bible's telling you how you can get peace. When adversity hits you and you feel that anxiety well up because it comes. When you've been given a diagnosis of illness and terminal illness, anxiety's gonna come. When you've lost somebody or the potential of losing somebody, anxiety is going to come and try and overwhelm you. When your finances are at zero or minus, anxiety is going to try and wrap itself around you. And God says, you don't need to be anxious for anything, but in everything. So every situation, every single detail of your life, whether it be minor or major, in everything with prayer, we need to pray and we petition God, not with whining and complaining, 
We petition God with thanksgiving. Gratefulness precedes miracles. Gratitude precedes miracles. And we wonder why we're not seeing a miracle because we whine, we complain, we blame God, we blame the government, we blame our family, we blame this, we blame that. And God is saying in everything, petition me with thanksgiving because it's thankfulness that releases something over our life. You can't be grateful and mad at the same time. You try it, it's impossible. You start being grateful for things, it shifts the atmosphere over your heart and life. It's why the enemy loves complaining. He loves whining. He loves negative. And you know, misery attracts other misery. And then they all get together and form a company. And then it just gets lower and lower and lower. And do you notice that the circumstances never change? But when you see somebody, you know, I've got a lady in our church. Her daughter was um, brain damaged in the womb, lost oxygen. You know, beautiful, special needs little girl. I watch her now. She's got a terminally, uh, um, an infectious disease that is so rare that is unbelievably saddening that she needs to have infusions every two weeks to keep her alive. Her husband's just been diagnosed with the same disease. This woman, time after time, and I watch her at church and I come up to her and I say, how are you? She goes, oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I get to love my children and my husband. I'm so grateful for the miracle that, you know, a doctor has devised a medicine that can heal my daughter. Oh, I'm still believing for God to completely heal her, but I'm grateful. And I sit there around her and I'm like, Cameron, just keep speaking, just keep speaking. But then I see other people with minor issues and they're negative and they leave church and they're mad at God. And I'm like, it's all a posture. Gratitude releases miracles. And because when we do this, he guarantees that the peace of God, the Prince of Peace, the peace that transcends all natural understanding, guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This is a peace that this is the world that looks at us and goes, why isn't she broken down? Why isn't she crazy? Why isn't he, you know, an alcoholic by now? Why isn't he, why isn't he on drugs? What is your secret? It's the peace that transcends. And you can have chaos all around, but be like Jesus who's asleep in the midst of a storm because the peace resides inside. And it's a peace that guards your heart from the issues of life that try and take us out. And this is the peace that I'm talking about today. And you know, there's seasons in life where the enemy comes at you like a full-on warfare where you're just like from the left to the right, from the back to the front, you just seem it's negative after negative after negative. There are seasons, sometimes days like that. You have the worst day of your life, very, very bad days. Or you can have very bad weeks. Some of us have had very bad months. Some of us have had horrendous years. And at that time, the enemy loves to just pile and pile and pile and wear us down so that that anxiety comes to overwhelm us. For me, it was 
when I was 29 years of age, it just seemed that one negative after the next negative after the next negative, it happened for years. And I got to a breaking point and God taught me how to warfare when anxiety was trying to grip my heart. At the age of 29, my best friend, who was actually my cousin, we were four months apart in age. We did everything together. We lived a block away from one another. My mum and her mum were sisters, and we were just the best of friends. And she was a very broken girl just due to abuse and, and situations. I ran to Jesus. She ran to drugs. She ran to partying, she ran to men, she ran to all the solutions that thought that would make her happy, but actually made her worse. And at age 29, I'd never experienced somebody dying in my life. And one morning I was traveling, doing a worship night with my husband in another state. My cousin by this stage had been a heroin addict for six years. And six months prior to this, particular day, God had woken me up in the night and he said, I need you to have Gabs over in your home once a week and just love on her, just love on her. And I'm like, God, it's really hard right now because she's often just asleep. She's off her nut. She's never coherent. She's always on drugs. He says, I just need you to pick her up from her house and bring her to your home. And I would do that. And she would literally bring her heroin, bring her bottle of vodka, and she would shoot up and she would drink and she would just sit and then she'd fall asleep. And I'm like, God, what is going on? Like, why, what am I doing here? And he'd say, put worship on while she's asleep. And so I'd put the DVD on, I'd put worship on. When the DVD would finish, she would actually wake up and go, put that back on. And then she'd fall asleep again. And just let the worship wash over her. Well, months went by and... No longer did she come and shoot up and drink, but we began to talk. And she got into a program, she got into rehab, and she moved back home. And oh, things were changing. And I'm thinking, finally, now she's going to come to church, she's going to get saved. And one day we had this conversation, and she didn't, would, would never allow me to talk about Jesus. She goes, anything we can talk about, just don't talk about God. He's the reason why I messed up. Where was he in my abuse? Where was he here? Where was he there? We always have that question, don't we? Where was he? And I just remember one day and I said, you know that if you call on the name of the Lord, he'll hear you. I said, that's all you need. I said, he makes it really hard for people to go to hell. His grace is so big that you would just need to call on his name and you'd be saved. That's all I said. Well, then this particular day I'm traveling and I get the phone call that no one ever wants to get. It's my brother-in-law, and he said, are you sitting down? I said, yeah, I'm driving. We're having a good time. He says, Gabriella just died. I'm like, what? She just overdosed. I'm like, what? My heart was crushed. I've never felt pain and anxiety immediately where somebody you love and somebody where you're seeing strides of hope just gone. And she just had a lapse and was living at home, was doing so well and took one last shot. She knew what she was doing and she took her life. Anxiety. I was like, God, 
I don't know how to walk through this. I don't know how to do this. I had to do a funeral. It was the first funeral I ever officiated. I was like, I don't even know what to do, God. This is so painful. This is so hurtful. If that wasn't bad enough, a couple months later, my grandmother just passes away suddenly. And I'm like, oh God, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to go through death. I don't know how to go through grief. I'm Here I am just thinking that I was good, thinking that I knew how to walk through this. I've been a Christian my whole life, but I don't know how to process this. This anxiety and this fear of death began to try and grip my heart. I just was thinking, who's next? Who's next? In, this, in the meantime of this, the, the death that was happening, I mean, I was believing for my, my womb to be fruitful and it'd been years. And, you know, sometimes in life, I think Darlene wrote it today. She says, in life, there's joy and sorrow. And sometimes we've got so much sorrow and then there's these little pockets of joy. And, and I had this joy where I fell pregnant and it was like this miracle, but there was just this deep sense of ache and pain. And I started to fear for my child. I'm like, God, there's such joy, but there's such fear because anxiety is just in me because, oh, now how do I look after my little girl or boy that's about to come? And what about if tragedy strikes our home, like tragedy is struck? And we had this beautiful little girl and she was a miracle and we're all happy. And of course, I'm moving forward the grief and getting over that. And then three months, you know, my having my little girl, I get that phone call that no one wants to get. And my dad was diagnosed with stage four leukemia and I'm like, what is going on? And I just crumbled. I was like, I don't, I don't know how to do this, God. What are you doing? We were just about to move to Melbourne to plant a church with our pastors and here I am serving God the best way I can. Here I am ready to make the biggest move of my life. I'd never left home. I was 30 years of age by this church time and I'm about to move and I don't want to move now because my father's dying and I'm like what on earth is going on who wants to build your church God why are you doing this to me have you ever asked that question and so we move and my father is just battling this cancer that then I'm going into warfare believing for his healing and the next 18 months he's fighting and fighting and fighting and he fought the good fight now he's in heaven. And I remember just broken, believing for that healing. God, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Three deaths within two years. I can't, I can't. I started to fear that my husband was just going to die. I would look at Henry and I'd literally every night go, please don't die. Please don't die. Like he's got control over that. Like, please don't die. Please don't die. But you see, anxiety began to grip my heart. And then Henry actually went through one of the darkest seasons of his life. And I'm like, oh no, here we go. Here I am saying, don't die, don't die. And I've got my husband in fetal position in bed at night going, I think I'm going mad. I think I'm going crazy. I'm like, oh God, what is going on with my family? Oh, but then he taught me the weapons of my warfare. And he said to me, this scripture, Alex, you can't be anxious for anything 
But in everything, you need to learn how to pray. And you're going to begin to pray with thanksgiving and you're going to petition heaven. And so I've just got a simple little acronym that you are going to need one day or perhaps you're going through anxiety and fear right now and it's just the word cares. Cast your cares for he cares for you. And the first one is C. And I don't have much time, so we're going to race through this C. And the first one means cry out. We can cry. It's okay to cry. We got to learn to cry out to our Father in heaven. David cried out many times. The Psalms are filled with David crying out. Job cried out when life threw every negative thing his way. Hannah cried out in desperation for her miracle. Time after time, we see the men and women of God crying out. You see the most beautiful scripture that I found because I came from a, a place in my earlier years where we weren't taught, we weren't allowed to cry. Because if you cried, you didn't believe that God had faith to move mountains. And so you, were, you had to be strong and you had to be, oh, praise God, it's all good. And it was so fake and so false and no one was allowed to grieve. And no one, if, you didn't, if you grieved for more than a day, then you didn't have faith. And that's not our God. He allows us to cry. He allows us to cry out. He allows us to weep. Oh, He allows the sorrows of our heart to be expressed. And this is why, because in Psalm 56, 8, He says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all of my tears in your bottle. And you've recorded each one of them in your book. Oh, the heart of God. So, so good towards us. And we were allowed to cry. And I cried. I cried a river. But the thing is, we can't stay there. We can't live there. So we've got to cry. And we've got to let that emotion out. But then we've got to get up. And then the A stands for appeal. Then we've got to appeal to our Father in heaven. You see, Job 16, 19 says, even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high and I'm appealing to a higher order. See, when somebody appeals in a law court, they're appealing the, ju the judgment that's been made against them and they want it overruled. They want it appealed and we can appeal against the enemy that has thrown something against us and we can go to the courts of heaven and make an appeal to the just judge who sits at the right hand of the Father and appeal our situation and say, it is written and God, you are an overcomer over this situation that I don't need to live according to the facts because I live according to your truth. And we begin to get resolute with our faith and appeal to the courts of heaven. Don't sit down in your sorrow. Don't sit down in your grief. Don't sit down in the attack of the enemy against you, but rise up and appeal to the courts of heaven because He is there for you. And prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. If it doesn't even change the atmosphere outside of you, it's gonna change the inside of you. And so we need to appeal. So first you can cry a river. Then we need to get up and begin to appeal to our Father in heaven who is the just judge of all. And He does change things. 
Because you see, when Henry was going through that breakdown, I began to appeal. And I would go down to his studio that's completely soundproof in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, and I would anoint his chair and I would anoint his mixing desk and I would anoint the vocal booth and I would anoint the drum room and I would anoint everywhere and I would say, this is not who my husband is. My husband has been called to be a worshiper. My husband is called to be a leader of this home. My husband is not going crazy. Enemy, you can get your hands off him. And I began to warfare and warfare and it didn't take a day and it didn't take a month. It took a year, but I kept warfare and I didn't give up and I appealed to the courts of heaven and I saw breakthrough over my husband's life. Oh, we're called to appeal on our family's behalf. You have jurisdiction over your family. You have authority over your family and it's time to stand up and it's time to appeal and it's time to see the breakthrough in your family. The third one we need to remember. We need to remember the miracles. You need to take a pen and you need to start writing down what God has done for you since your salvation. In fact, even before, because I believe God's hand is on us our whole life and you can see the hand of God that led you to the moment of repentance. And I want you to write down every miracle that you've ever received because when you're going through the valley and when you're going through anxiety and fear and when you're feeling all the pressures of the world come against you, you begin to recall what He has done because if He did it then, He'll do it again. If He did it there, He's gonna do it now. If He did it before, for some else, He's gonna do it also again. If He did it in Scripture, He'll do it today. Remember the miracles. Because Psalm 103, 2-6 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. He forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit and He crowns us with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. What a scripture. That one needs to be written on our heart. Forget not all His benefits. That covers everything everything in our lives. Remember what He has done and don't forget because the enemy wants you to remember what you should forget. But we forget what we should be remembering. And the enemy always brings up the negative. Oh, remember when? Remember that time? Yeah, they'll do it again. Remember when they hurt you? No, 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 no. Let's remember the miracles. Let's remember what God has done because that's gonna shift our focus and the gratitude in our heart will start to overwhelm us and it will change the atmosphere over our lives. E is enlarge God over your circumstance. You know, sometimes we look at our mountain but compared to God, it's a molehill. We look at our mountain and we're like, that's such a mountain. I can't, I can't, I, I just, I, how do I get that mountain? But there's a scripture about that. 
If we've got faith the size of a mustard seed, we can speak to that mountain in your life and cast it into the sea and remove it out of our way because I'm telling you, that mountain is not so big in God's eyes. He is big. He is the creator of the universe. And I remember a season when I was literally going through all of this and it looked like an insurmountable mountain and I didn't think I could get through it. And I thought this season was never gonna end. I couldn't see the light of day. I'm like, God, here I am serving you. Here I am building your church. Here I am doing everything that I know to do is right. And God says, you don't know who I am. And if you read in Job 38 verse 1, it says when Job's doing the same thing, excuse me, what's happening? And he responds to Job and he says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? See, we don't know him. Brace yourself like a man and I'll question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what was its footing set? Where? Or who laid its cornerstone? And he goes on and on and on. He's like, where were you when I created heaven and earth? Where were you when I created mankind? Do you know who I am? I am the God who created you. I am the God that spoke the heavens and the earth into being. I am the one who breathed life into mankind. I am the one who took the clay and made mankind in its unique form. I am God. Therefore, look to me. Don't look at your situation. Enlarge me over your situation because when you look up, Everything else goes strangely dim. Every time we look up, we're like, oh God, you're so big. You're so massive. You're so magnificent. Oh, this is just a blip on course with you. Therefore, you can annihilate it. So I'm looking to the one who's much bigger than my circumstance. And so we look at the world right now and we think, how on earth? We'll look to God who's greater. He's greater. He's got all things in his hands. And the last point. So first we've got cry. Then we've got appeal. Then we've got remember. Then we've got enlarge. And the last one is we've got to learn to sing. There is so much power when we learn to sing through our pain when we learn to sing and worship, when we don't feel like it. Worship is not when we're on the mountaintops only. Worship is when we can declare to ourselves and our Lord that He is who He says He is. And what you're doing when you sing is you are burning incense to the Lord because it's a sacrifice of praise. And it goes to his nostrils and it's pleasing to him. And then he comes and he rains back down over our lives. But when we whine, when we complain, when we are just in misery and depression and oppression, guess what that? That is incense to the enemy and it's worship unto the enemy. But praise and worship is kryptonite to the enemy. Because every time you praise and every time you worship, when you don't feel like it, the enemy cowers and shrivels back in fear. Because Isaiah 54, 1 says, sing, fruitful woman. 
sing, barren woman who is going to become fruitful, but she's not fruitful yet. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than then of her who has a husband, says the Lord. See, he's saying, sing while you're still barren. Don't just sing when you get the good news. Don't just sing when you get the miracle, but you've got to sing while you're in the valley. You need to learn to sing while you're going through something because there is something to be said for all of heaven is watching. And I'm telling you, all of earth is watching because you know that day that my cousin commits suicide, that day she overdosed, I was due to worship on stage at an event. It was a worship event. And my pastor said to me, I was just one of the backing vocalists, so it wasn't like I was carrying the meeting. And she looked at me and she said, you don't need to do this today because I know you're distraught. And I sat there and I, I literally, I was just overcome with emotion, just that, you know, that ugly heave cry. Because it was right then and there, it just happened. And I felt God just say to me, no, Alex, you need to sing. Even if you can't get a word out. You don't have to sing audibly, but you need to sing from this place. And I got up and I don't think I sang a word, but I tell you what I sang. I sang with all my heart that you are good, that you are still on the throne, that you are good, that this is not going to take us out, that this is going to change. And I tell you, the atmosphere of that room began to shift and all heaven came down because we sang worship to God when the enemy wanted me cowered down in fear and anxiety. And I've got good news to tell you. That when I went to do that funeral, little did I know that my cousin's best friend, who was also a drug addict, went to my same church. Our church was a church of 4,000, so I never had seen her, didn't know her. She'd written a card to my auntie that week and I didn't know how to do this in the funeral. I was like, is she in heaven? Is she? I don't know where she is. How do I do this funeral, God? But I trust that all that we sowed into her, that she called on Your Name. And we get this letter from this lady telling my auntie said, I didn't know that Gabs had passed away on Saturday, but on Sunday morning I was in church worshiping and I had an open vision of these beautiful fields that were green and they went for days. And I saw a beautiful man with his arms outstretched and I saw Gabriella hold beautiful and healthy and she ran in his arms and they swelled and then they went off in the distance and they looked back at me and they waved goodbye and I just went oh Jesus oh Jesus you're so good you're so good see the enemy did not win oh he may have won temporarily but he did not win Oh, because when we learn to sing and we learn to cry out and we learn to appeal and we learn to remember and we learn to enlarge God, oh, He is the one that has the last say. Hey, I'm so glad that we had this time together. And now we are praying that you get busy 
following Jesus, making a difference in your world. And we want to invite you, come visit us in one of our four campuses, Bradford, Leeds, Belfast, or Warsaw, Poland, and we would love to see you soon. One. One movement. One voice to reveal and reflect. Echo and express. We amplify heaven's sound, proclaiming justice and hope, singing loud salvation song. We magnify his heart for the least and his hope for the lost, extending peace, expanding grace, declaring, come one, come all. We glorify his words, his ways, promote his purposes, carriers of his presence and praise. We unify his church, one cause under one name alone, with one heart, one spirit. We amplify so we can magnify to see him glorified and his church unified. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about Life Church, check out our website, lifechurchhome.com, or download the app.